Hi everyone and welcome back to the Sock Dem Asia podcast. I am your host Cassie. So for our episode today, it's going to be all about International Women's Day. Woo! As a woman, I am very excited for the celebration of this day for all of women and very special that in the place where I am based in the Philippines, we actually celebrate a Women's Month. So Carlo, as a man, tell me, what does International Women's Day mean to you? Meets a lot since I have a mother and I have uh, two sisters, so I guess yeah, it's a big thing, big deal for me. Yeah, and it's an mm-hmm. entire month, so yeah, you can't escape that. Yeah. Yes, lots of great celebrations. So, our guest for today is very, very special, and I'm very excited to have her on the program today. We are joined today by Filipina feminist and assistant professor at the University of the Philippines Department of Women and Development Studies. She is the founder of Luna's Collective. Please welcome to the program Sabrina Gakad. Hi Sab, welcome. Hi, welcome Carlo to the program. Hi Sab. I think you I know. For having me. I think I know you from a past life. Right? right, it's been yeah, so yeah. long. Yeah, we we used to work together in uh, the Philippine Parliament before. Yeah, yeah. wow, it was I a am... crazy time. Mm-hmm. Like slightly envious because, like, not to reveal myself, but yes, like I am the youngest in this group right now. So, Carlo and Sab, they've been long working in the movement that I think I can say that I'm still a newbie at. So I'm just very happy to have them both with me on this podcast, talking about. A topic that I am particularly concerned about. So we've welcomed Sab to this program to talk about International Women's Day and working in women's issues, etc. So now I pose a question to you. What does International Women's Day mean to you? International Women's Day means to me a lot of work. It's a lot of events and a lot of activities. And sometimes it would just be so good to drop out. And practice the care side of like being by yourself. But of course, beyond um, my little challenges and apprehensions with being burdened with so many things to do, International Women's Day is also the chance for people to reflect upon not just how women are doing presently in the various spaces that women are, but also reflect upon people's understanding also of feminism and what women empowerment really means and how all of us can contribute towards allowing women with their truths and their power and just really their pleasures and desires, allowing all of that to be explored and to be surfaced and to be shared. So I think that you opened up the podcast discussion like really, really well. And now is the perfect time to ask you about what those concepts mean, like women empowerment and feminism. So I'm just going to let you have the floor. Ah, great. Thank you. So there are so many definitions to feminism. And you can look it up on Google or Wikipedia and just scour the internet. And you'll see that there are all these definitions that fit one kind of quote-unquote women and are not exactly applicable to other women. Or that they kind of um, like they kind of challenge each other. So I think the most basic definition of feminism that we can explore is the idea that feminism is a political philosophy. It's an attempt to understand why there are different powers that are accorded to people who identify as men 
or people who identify as masculine and mm-hmm. why there is like lower value, lower power accorded people who identify as women or people who present as feminine. And then why there is another layer of everybody who don't entirely present themselves as entirely masculine or entirely feminine. They might reject these labels altogether or they might find themselves somewhere in flux in between these two mm-hmm. polar opposite kind of situations. And why these people are not accorded equal power, equal respect, equal honor and dignity as ultimately the men or the people who present as masculine and um, men or who identify as men are. So mm-hmm. it's an exploration of unfair power relations. It's an attempt to understand why, where, how in society all these things have emerged. And of course, it's also, um, if I may say, it's an invitation to everybody to look into what forms of liberation we can explore and what forms mm-hmm. of liberation can we try together as a collective, as a community, as individuals, so that we can, at the minimum, you know, put the power structures at a more equivalent um, level. Uh, I love everything that you said. Not the fangirl, but the fangirl just a little bit. Because I guess as a young woman living in a society, TM, feminism is a lot of what I think about, women's issues of how I move through the world. And the thing that you said that I specifically want to pinpoint on is the mention of the word liberation. And I would want to ask you, what does that mean in a world or in a culture that is so in love with the word empowerment? Why liberation? That's a big question. And I have to be honest that here feminism gets pretty complex and confusing Mm -hmm. because from a perspective of power imbalances, from a perspective of a clear um, oppression of women, right? So the idea behind the concept of liberation is to find ways to undo the oppression or in a manner of speaking, break all the cages walls and then set women quote unquote free. Mm-hmm. So there is that element of liberation that is super attractive. Um, and it appears as if you find liberation once and then you're done. Like now mm. that we have liberation, we've solved everything. And that goes for um, nationalist struggles. That goes for people with um, issues with wealth or people with issues with social structures. And it goes precisely for feminism too. And the thing about liberation that's tricky is the effort to find spaces for people to feel true to themselves, the effort for um, society to nurture people to becoming the whole complete quote-unquote empowered people that they are is not a one-step job. So on the Mm -hmm. one hand, there's this idea of liberation that rests on ensuring that women have equal rights as men, or there's this aspect of liberation that ensures that women have the power to make choices and Mm -hmm. then is premised very strongly on the concept of rationality or the human ability to make logical decisions for their benefit. And then people say that based on that alone, 
women already find liberation. Or mm. generally, everyone finds liberation based on the idea that you are an individual rationally making choices for your own um, good. But the idea behind that is that there are also structures in society that condition people to behave a certain way. There are structures mm. in society that condition people to believe that something will be good for them. And these structures of society are precisely the structures that keep the power imbalance going. And I'll probably ground this down to the whole idea of um, women needing to raise children to become mm. true, fully, complete women, women yeah. right? So mm. on the one hand, the structures of society that have insisted across the years, across history, the structures of society that insisted on the concept of a heterosexual nuclear family, where there is a man who provides for the well-being mm-hmm. and the basic needs of ideally his wife and all their children. And there's a woman who is the mother of the children that is supposed to provide care and support and love for not just the children, but also the man or the Mm -hmm. husband. And then there are the children that are supposed to do everything their parents say, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The problem with that is that not all women want to have husbands. That's one. Mm -hmm. Number two, not all women want to have children. Um, or can. Or can have children, exactly. And then finally, in terms of like expressing just the love and care that women actually have, and actually men also have, it's not always as if women only are physically, emotionally, sexually attracted to men or people mm-hmm. of the opposite sex or people of the opposite gender. So the heterosexual idea of a family says that this is the norm and to be considered good members of society, you have to follow this norm. So everyone that refuses to follow these norms are then considered deviant or are then considered Mm. not good. Mm. So on that level alone, um, even if women were making choices that fulfilled their idea of who they are, whether it's about having children or marrying or um, choosing a partner. Um, The standards of society already say one thing, and not all people are satisfied by these standards. Then the second aspect of that is, of course, there are some people that are going to like these structures. There are some people Mm -hmm. that are going to be happy in a heterosexual, loving marriage with many children. And so the other side of this um, coin is when the people who are happy with the norm, on the one hand, some of them experience discrimination, not discrimination, let's scrap that. The term isn't discrimination. Some of them experience criticism for Mm. being or acting like sheep. The sheeple, they just follow the rules, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's the common thing that we um, say online is that these people are not thinking for themselves. So then there's the disbelief that just because they were following the norms, they weren't being true to themselves. Yeah, or, or, that, or like just because they're following the norm that it's they're not conscious that they're norms, right? 
Like, and that they're not conscious that like, these are norms. Yeah, exactly. That's precisely the thing. It's like the level of awareness that people have depends on the community around them that challenges the norms or supports the norms. And then their happiness with either following or not following the norms depends entirely on their sense of what makes them whole and complete. So sometimes the norms would intersect with their idea of what makes them whole and complete. Sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's just that the idea of liberation assumes that there is one way towards, mm-hmm. you know, freeing people from the shackles of patriarchy, yeah. that all of mm-hmm. a sudden all the norms are bad. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how individuals experiencing the norms, it doesn't matter how individuals who might be enjoying these norms are all of a sudden um, treated as less intelligent or less aware, exactly as Carla said, you know. And then there's that kind of discrimination against people who enjoy the norms. And what I'm trying to say is empowerment or what I'm trying to say um, or what I'm trying to describe as a society that is nurturing and caring for everybody is a society that doesn't discriminate on where people are happy and how they express that. That's number one. Mm-hmm. And then number two, a society that allows people the information, allows people the space to learn and understand, not just on a rational level, but also an emotional, physical, spiritual, and mental level of where their happiness is and where their sense of self is. And then allow these people who are learning about themselves continuously to make decisions based on what they already know about themselves. Mm-hmm. And that was premised on the idea that the things that people know will change. Therefore, mm-hmm. people will also change in their manner of expressing themselves, in their choices, and also in generally how they live their lives. So a society that allows for these many variations mm-hmm. of expressions of humanity is the mm-hmm. society in my head that allows people to really be empowered and to really be liberated. No, uh, no, yeah. Sab, you, you mentioned you mentioned you know that feminists want you know society be society to be liberated, people to be liberated because a lot of you know critics of feminism you know like people would call themselves like the men's rights movement. So their meninists. perception, meninists, whatever, yeah. For it's their so perception, funny. their perception of let's say feminism is you know, oh well, when feminists come into power, what they really want is like a like a reversal of society, like oh men will yeah, be like subjugated. they want to kill all the men, yeah, et cetera, yeah, yeah, exactly like that. But that's not mm-hmm. the case. What what's your thought on that? Like, like where does that yeah. fear come from? Maybe you know, it's uh maybe it's not yeah. a bit related to that. But what do you, where do you think that comes from? That kind of uh, accusation against feminism. Mm-hmm comes from because i think that maybe they probably many men who have that kind of fear are projecting the fear because they themselves understand how patriarchy or the existing system works so you know you know like like you know you, you're afraid of something will happen to you just because yeah you're the one doing that is that what do you think about that that's precisely it. It's precisely about wow, just, enjoying pr- power and privileges. Look at Carla being a legit. No, I'm just reading. I love I'm, it. I'm, I'm reading here from a script here. So, uh, no, no. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. But no. that's precisely it. It's about power and privileges, and 
some men who benefit from patriarchy or capitalism, for example, the people in positions of power, whose mm-hmm. interest lies in maintaining this power. Yes. Diba? Yeah. And whose interests are served by putting people down. Mm-hmm. These people are afraid of the whole initiative, the whole movement to at the minimum improve the spaces for people with less power, improve the spaces for the marginalized to decide for themselves how and why they should be acting. And so the idea, the threat really is with men who think that they will be destroyed by feminism. It's the idea that they will all of a sudden lose the privileges that includes controlling other people's bodies mm-hmm. or controlling women's bodies and desires and pleasures. It's the idea that they will lose the power over women. Or, or somehow the, the roles would be reversed. And then they're like, worried about yeah. retribution. Yeah, like, like, they're worried about, like, like women, yeah. like a feminist society would be where women call the shots. Like women would, like, uh, what, what's you called it? Women would be the ones Oppressing commodifying. Men. Yeah, like, like that's, mm-hmm. that's the fear that yeah. they have, right? But that's exactly like, the thing. It's because the only way they understand power is to use power to oppress other people. Mm. They cannot imagine an mm. exercise of power where actually, on the one hand, um, power is plenty in our society. Mm. If we assume that power is a scarce resource and that it always has to be controlled by one segment of the population, then you start thinking you can't lose power because mm-hmm. you will lose the privileges. But if you start thinking that power in our society is actually abundant and that you won't lose out even if other people gain more power, mm-hmm. then there is an openness to the idea that, of course, women should be able to choose the things that make them happy, whether that's on a sexual or an emotional or a career level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I'd like to get the tea your thoughts. It's piping hot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but I would like to agree though <laughs> that there is some level of satisfaction that you can get if you stick it up to them. Like just a slight mm. bit of revenge. And that yeah, is but like just the, the mean ones. Movies. Yeah. 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 And that's what yeah. all movies are made of. That's what drama is made of, right? The yeah. joy and the thrill of revenge. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I guess that's scary. But I'd like to think that my kind of feminism doesn't seek revenge mm-hmm. yeah i remember wow. seeing wow. a yep. tweet that was that went a little like men should be happy that women are only seeking for equality and not retribution okay. and like that's so right because it's just like parade all the men off the cliff no that's not what a feminine society is gonna look like and i actually want to ask you now that you talked about how patriarchy and men who benefit from it and who benefit from capitalism, of course, they would want to prop it up. And I actually want to invite Carlo to answer this question too, that how does patriarchy hurt men? Like, because maybe they don't even realize it. This is the part where we who wants, who wants to go first? <laughs> I, I, I didn't even yeah. realize that. No, 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 no. I didn't realize I was, I was oppressed. Uh, no, but... Ca- but Sa- Sabrina mentioned a while ago because she already mentioned something about capitalism. Like, this absurd idea that women would be liberated simply by having representation in the levels of power. Like, mm. um, 
okay, we can have women in power, but you can have like an Imelda Marcos, right? So that's true. She's in complete power. She, you know, reigning over Unfortunately. the Unfortunately. Together with her husband, the former dictator. But that means, you know, would that be, yeah, well, let's cheer women killing. Oh, yeah, that's people true. People in the, you know, Ooh. like, oh, well, in relation to capitalism, would capitalism be more tolerable if the boss was a woman? Or, oh in that, or if in that case, a lot of this business magazine publish a lot of, you know, the list yeah, of like companies. Yeah, like girl boss things. Yeah, oh like boy. something like that. But mm-hmm. yeah. Like this Fortune 500 is led by a woman and they yeah, but, also exploit their workers. Yeah. Girl power. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what do you think about that, Sab? Where, where like, yeah, as mentioned by Cassie, by Cassie regarding capitalism and its intersection as well with patriarchy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all these efforts to celebrate women at the top of capitalist hierarchies ultimately they're just trying to find ways to divide society a lot more because what we have to understand is capitalism and patriarchy are made of the same mold the idea Mm. is to concentrate the control and access to resources with a small group of people in terms of capitalism that's about wealth that's Mm. about production and that's about um the power to sell goods and services Mm -hmm. on the market, and then the power to make profit. In terms of feminism or in terms of patriarchy, the power struggle is about expressing sexuality. The power struggle is about expressing femininity, masculinity, expressing love and affection, and other choices that are not related to gender, but society insists are related to one's gender or one's biological sex. So the control that happens is, like I said earlier, a system where an elite will benefit from the oppression of the majority. So the elite in capitalism benefits from very low wages. They benefit Mm. from just really the amount of labor power that is abundant in society Mm -hmm. Um, and they never give wages that allow people to live because this is the source of their income Um, that's kind of like a super basic appreciation of capitalism Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of um, people would get mad at that Kind of we can do a follow-up episode, so no worries, <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah, but I'm just saying, I'm just putting it out there. I'm aware that it's okay, a kind yeah. of reduction. Yeah, yeah. But so, but, it, yeah. So when yeah. you start saying that women should be celebrated for heading big companies, on the one hand, yes, women should be celebrated for rising up the ranks. Women should be celebrated for their effort. They should be celebrated for their skill and their aptitude and their intelligence and all of that. But also, that does not mean that all women now are happy wherever they are. It doesn't mean that the women leading big corporations should forget about their workers in the same way that the men Mm. leading big corporations have forgotten about their workers. Mm -hmm. So this is where intersectionality matters. And this is where we start saying, now let's look at the intersection. Wait, wait, Sam, before uh, before we jump there. Yeah. Can you explain intersectionality? Because you're, yeah, I was going to ask you about that, but that's a... For all our lovely listeners. You know, can you unpack what the word intersectionality even means? 
Yeah, for sure. So intersectional feminism or intersectionality started with Kimberly Crenshaw. She is a black woman that studies American, the American legal system. And the idea behind intersectionality is that there are many categories, social categories, that divide people according to power and access to resources. And then these social categories exclude the powerless from the privileges that the powerful enjoy. And then, because there are many social categories, there are people that have different social identities or there are people that occupy different social categories all at once by being theirs by being themselves and then in the process of occupying these social categories the interplay or the intersection of the power differentials based on these social categories magnify oppression for a particular mm-hmm. person. So yeah. that's the idea. It's not as if um, you can solve the problem of women's voting rights mm-hmm. at the same time that you can solve the problem of educating women. Yeah, exactly. Just or by like, looking at them separately. Yeah, like yeah. when you, you mentioned like women's, you know, like the right for women to vote, like... Um, there, but there are some people who think that you know once you secure the the right to vote for women, then that's enough. Like um, when the United States first passed uh, allowing women, the passed the law allowing women to vote, that like a lot of the campaigners, liberals were surprised that a lot of women during election time actually voted for very conservative candidates. So they were, and some of them noted that that's because women at that time were very conservative-minded because they were existing in the society that was, you know, assigned them certain gender roles. So a lot of the campaigners, like progressives in the 1920s, who were saying that, let's allow women to vote because they're going to vote in progressive. Precisely in their favor. Ended up in mm-hmm. the, exact, the exact opposite like, happened. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly that. It's like the division, for example, of gender versus the division of class cannot mm. be solved only by dealing with class and gender separately. Because the people mm. who are poor and happen to be women will experience mm. oppression vastly differently from a wealthy woman mm-hmm. or um, vastly differently from a poor man. Mm-hmm. So you can't just say in terms of like policies, in terms of how we operate our democracy, you can't just say that let's treat one problem separate from all the other problems. And then also as a matter of advocacy, as a matter of organizing, you can't just say people belong to sectors and that's all that there is to their identities. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that's when we start having to see kind of a more sophisticated way to organize, to relate to each other, and to strategize in undoing all the structures of oppression that exists in society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. Thank you, Carla, for opening the discussion about uh, class and and like women and gender. And I'm going to drag you back now to the original question that I hope you weren't avoiding about in what ways do does patriarchy also affect men adversely? Oh, yeah. Because while while it might be a power structure that makes men powerful, like a great deal of them are also pretty unhappy 
And so why is that? They have all the power, but they're still freaking sad. What's going on? So here I will say I'm probably not the best representative of the male segment of the population mm-hmm. simply because I don't identify as masculine. Mm-hmm. Um, but to my understanding of gender norms, and maybe I'll put it in the context of something I really like studying, which is sexuality and mm-hmm. adolescent sexuality, where people start exploring attraction to each other. Mm-hmm. And the pressure on young men to present themselves as the savior, as the prince charming, and as the ultimate advocate and warrior that will protect women is a huge thing. Um, It's a huge thing to ask of young men who don't even know what they want for dinner. It's a huge thing to ask of, you know, young men that are not even sure if they'll actually want to stay in that same relationship with that same person forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that idea of being strong, that idea of being the protector precludes them from feeling weak, from feeling mm-hmm. nervous, from feeling uncertain. Yeah, like normal feelings. Yes. So all of a sudden, all these feelings are wrong for boys to have when in fact all adolescents experience uncertainty and weirdness and awkwardness. But for people who are oriented to feel strong and present strongly all the time, the sense of weirdness or awkwardness or not belonging to a particular expectation are all of a sudden symbols of weakness and they're all of a sudden bad. Mm. And so they stop being, you know, sensitive and mm. they just start thinking about how to present themselves as the saviors, as the protectors, as the providers. Is and what, where, yeah. yeah. Is that where the word toxic masculinity uh-huh. comes from? Yeah. More or less, yes. Yeah. That requirement to be fully masculine and strong. Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. Or and rather then, having a very yeah. narrow box. Having a very yeah. narrow box for what it is to be masculine. Yes. And then, oh my God, can I bring up that issue with incels? Because oh, oh, yeah, sure, go please. Ahead. Yes. <laughs> please. Incel. Oh, wait. So for everybody <laughs> listening on the podcast, the term incel refers to someone who identifies as an involuntary celibate. So this is like a subset of people on the internet, mostly males, who are not having sex and they want to be having sex. But there's something distinctly toxic about the way that they think that is very negative and mostly violent towards women. Like So I think, I hope that that's a good basic definition of what, it, what incel means. Yeah, um- So what happens is because they don't fit the standards of masculinity, they get rejected is basically the story. And then when they get rejected, because they cannot express the hurt and the shame and the pain of having been rejected, and they would still need to make up for not being man enough because they were not accepted, then they turn into anger. Then they turn into saying women are crap. Yeah. And then they just end up being horrible people online and in real life. Well, and, and, and I need, right? And, 
Yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. They... I need to I need to interject also that they think that the reason for their rejection is because they don't fit like the traditional mold of masculinity. Mm-hmm. So it's it's thinking that that because I'm not tall, because I'm not muscular, because I'm not rich, that's why women don't like me. When it doesn't always have something to do with that. So there's that propping up of that standard that they desperately want to be, but they feel like they can never be. So they hate those guys too, those guys who fit the traditional masculine mold. Yeah. And then it's not the fault of women, mm-hmm. but they direct all their anger to women because they kind feel like all women are making these choices yeah. against them. It, it kind of reminds me of the film, well, the novel uh, Fight Club. Mm-hmm. If you know oh that, like, ah. it kind of reminds me that there's, you know, this toxic masculine. A lot of these men, you know, the characters enter this, this like conspiracy to bomb, you know, yeah. cap it, you know, the centers of power. But they also engage in very sexist behavior. Yeah. But to it kind of reminds me. Joke. Yeah, it kind of reminds me. Joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Just to troll society, modern society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it kind of reminds like, me that a lot of their pain, suffering actually comes from the the modern society, especially capitalism. How yeah. that I, I'm, I'm trying to connect this with uh, you know what Sabrina it's said. Okay, you can try again. We can do a take two. Yeah, reminds like, you of like, reminds you yeah, of Fight Club. Yeah, it reminds me of Fight Club where you have men who are actually victims of the system, so they lash out. But the problem is a lot of these men and like especially incels, if you look at their backgrounds, they are victimized or they aren't able to socialize because of the, well, basically the because of the expectations that are set on them that they aren't able to meet. And the problem is instead of identifying who or what that structure that they should oppose, they, they lash out. Like, you know, they... Yeah, they, at the they easiest think, target. Yeah, because they, you know, they're confused misled to thinking that women are enemies yeah. instead of thinking that you know hey it's not women who are the enemy they're also they're they're also they're they're oppressed under that kind of system they're also mm-hmm. facing a lot of burden from society expectation that they set but a lot of them also turn violent against women you know especially yeah, women. they literally they literally chose to blow up some buildings instead of just go to therapy <laughs> or form a union okay. so that they can negotiate oh, true. better wages from true. their employers. Yeah. Yeah, because that may, that may be part of the reason that a lot of them are economically dispossessed. So yeah. economically dispossessed, and that leads into a sort of um, to sort of a lowering of self-esteem that they don't see themselves as man enough to provide for their family, etc. And because they're not able to provide for their family under the current system, economic system where mm-hmm. social, you know, um, personal relationships are mediated through a capitalist society, like, mm-hmm. you know, how rich you are, how wealthy you are, whether you yeah. hold these kinds of goods, because they're not able to produce those um they're not able to meet that income. They think that they're not, um, they're not able to have enter into a romantic relationship. And instead of blaming the conditions or the the system that brought them there in the first place, they blame women for not choosing them. Right? Like, mm. it's and also I it's like also kind of tragic. Talking- mm-hmm. It's yeah. also kind of tragic. Yeah. Yeah, I like how Carlo mentioned that it's an issue of 
the things people don't have that society says they should have that becomes mm-hmm. a basis for how they appreciate who they are. So then mm-hmm. it becomes es- exactly the issue of wealth, not in the material sense, but a wealth of sense of self-worth. So I think the problem mm-hmm. that patriarchy and capitalism have created is to anchor a person's self-worth on symbols of economic wealth mm-hmm. or symbols of masculine power. Yeah. And without these things, all of a sudden, a person feels worthless when in truth, the worth of a person lies so much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. I actually want to touch upon something that you said earlier, which I just, I had never heard of it before, that you talked about how patriarchal societies or patriarchy views power as a limited resource. That So because there's only so much power, you have to hoard it and only a small group of people can hold it. But you mentioned that uh, future society that we would like to work towards, like, or you mentioned that power is plentiful. And I've never heard that before, and I would want to know more. Can you explain what you mean by that, by power being, that it's actually plentiful? Yeah, so I mean that everyone has power by virtue of being human. So by virtue of knowing that we have bodies and minds and then by virtue of these bodies and minds interacting with society and interpreting information and then by virtue of these bodies and minds figuring out what is pleasurable and what is not um that's power in itself Mm -hmm. so so that's kind of inner mm -hmm. power if that makes sense yeah no, yeah. it makes it. I, I I completely get it. That I completely understand because the thing that I'm getting from it now is that every single person has power in, inside of themselves, which brings us to an activity and an issue that is so topical, which is that people need to be organized. That people mm-hmm. need to be organized if they're going to make any changes to structures of power, and that's so. That's right. That's right, and it's also scary because it's so difficult to organize people. <laughs> I think this is where the question of what kind of power you want to exercise as a person, as an institution, as an organization, that question is crucial to recognizing whether power is abundant or whether power is scarce. So if Mm -hmm. someone's goal is to recognize the power in each and every person, right? So... That's different from the goal of a person who wants to hoard all the power for themselves. Mm. So if the goal is to allow for everybody to be free and happy in their own bodies and minds, and that includes making sure everyone gets a good education, nobody goes hungry, yeah. they everybody has a roof, and a comfortable house, like not just a, a guaranteed roof, you know? life with dignity. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the idea of sharing power is exactly guaranteeing a life of dignity for everyone. Mm-hmm. That's different from the idea of I need to save because I am powerful. This idea of an elite group of people that have plenty of resources and experiences and opportunities. The idea that these people have is that they should save or protect 
other marginalized people because the marginalized people cannot protect themselves or cannot express mm. the power themselves. And then that is also different from the idea of an expression of power that requires someone to take other people's power away so that they maximize the benefit and the privileges of having power. So there are at least three different ways to express power. And ultimately, what I'm leaning towards is just creating more spaces where people can express their own power. And in terms of organizing, that means understanding really like where your biases as an individual lie, where the privileges you experience come from. And then recognizing that all of us um, on the one hand, benefit from unfair power relations, um, but also all of us have the power, or most of us benefit from unfair power relations. That's what privilege is all about. But then most of us, if we recognize power in others, have the capacity to, in a manner of speaking, pass the mic or mm. give the spotlight to someone else who has less power. And in doing so, we're already amplifying the power that that person has. We're using the power we have to amplify another person's power and nothing was taken away from us. Mm. Nothing was taken from the privilege that we have. If we recognize that we cannot speak for the people who experience oppression differently. Okay, to ground this like a little bit, when we're talking about patriarchy, like because this is a Sockdom Asia podcast, we also have to put it a little bit in context of Asia and societies in Asia and the ones that lean patriarchal. So we already discussed a little bit about how the suspicions of feminism is basically men or people who identify as masculine being afraid of power being taken away from them. But there's also the other issue that is emerging about sexual orientation, gender, and identity that some cultures have an easier time accepting. Like in Thailand, there's it's in their culture or there's a little bit more cultural acceptance for the transgender pop- population. And then you can look to the Philippines where you can argue that there is tolerance but not acceptance. So do you think that, like, what is the relationship between patriarchy and these these other forms of gender expression? Like, why is patriarchy so against these other forms of gender expression, aside from the reasons why they're against women? Right. So... Going back to the idea of patri- patriarchy, I realize you should have started with a loose definition of the term. And, <laughs> we, can, yeah. we can do that. <laughs> so if we wanted, yeah, so let's, let's go back to the definition of patriarchy, which is a social order that is characterized by the rule of men over mm-hmm. every other person. And patriarchy has created a valuation of a person's worth based on gender and has provided greater value to what is masculine and male Mm. and then lesser value to what is feminine and female. Mm. And then patriarchy also said there are only two genders, there are only two sexes. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, everyone that's not masculine and male and not feminine and female are unacceptable. What Mm -hmm. the difference is in cultures that are more accepting of various gender identities and expressions 
is the fact that they don't believe in these binaries. Mm. That for them, sex is not just a matter of being male or female or gender and gender identity are not just a matter of being a woman or a man, masculine or feminine. And then also believing that these things related to gender and sexuality are not the basis of people's power. So societies mm. that have a better acceptance of people with diverse sochi, people with diverse sexuality, these societies don't anchor the values of a human life on mm. the basis of sex. They don't anchor the values of power on sex. And they don't accord different power levels to different variations of masculinity and femininity. That's why they're more accepting. Um, so there are societies, for example, uh, that do not, or, well, I'll, I'll not even go very far. I'll go back, because this is where I'm more familiar. I'll go back mm-hmm. to um, pre-Hispanic Philippines, where power was accorded women, and women actually can be spiritual leaders and political yeah. leaders mm-hmm. and then participate in the social and civic life of their various communities. And the hierarchy was not about gender. It was more about something else. So mm-hmm. in these societies that power was not defined according to gender, women had no trouble occupying spaces of power. People who did not fully identify as male or female, masculine or feminine, did not have any problems occupying spaces of power. It was only when we were colonized and Mm. the whole idea of patriarchy was brought Mm. to Philippine shores um, that we ended up being a relatively patriarchal society today. Mm-hmm. So the origins of where these norms come from, it's like, I like, w- w- is it studied? Because like you mentioned earlier, that pre-colonial Philippines, the basis of power was something else, and figuring out what that's where that something else came from, like, is that something a question that can be answered in women's studies, or it's something that, uh, is just. We, we need to understand that like oh it, it sprang up like that and now we have to deal with it. I think the approach isn't to say um, where mm. the structures came from, but how it is possible to have different structures and mm. bases of power. So in pre-Hispanic Philippines, the structures of power related to how close you were to the spiritual deities or how close you were to their idea of a god, right? So the hierarchy in society then was at the top of the pile would have been the babaylan or the priestess or the priest. Mm -hmm. And then next would come the political leaders and then next would come the community leaders and so on. So the question wasn't or so the question that we have to be looking at isn't about like where did it start but what is the possibility of society being organized along a different power line Mm. women's studies looks at the possibilities of these different configurations of power even throughout history Uh, there have been anthropological discoveries and i think they're geological 
discoveries when you geographical kind of, geographical you mean archaeological ge- geophysical archaeological, yes archaeological discoveries okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. so there are archaeological discoveries of societies that had goddess worship and mm. societies with goddess worship recognized the power of the human body the female human body to give life and bear yeah. life and then um In these societies, it did not mean that they gave absolute power to women, but that they honored that kind of power in women. Mm-hmm. So For, does that make sense? That it's a differentiation of yeah. like absolute versus honoring the equivalent powers or the equivalent values of yeah. what a person. Like, there's like respect. Is. You're, you're saying yeah. it's like at least hierarchies at pre-Hispanic or pre-colonial, you know, just for other Asian countries can also relate. Pre-colonial societies, hierarchies were at least more fluid. Were were at least you can you can there's a way for you to go between levels of hierarchies. Is that what you're? Yeah. You can say that, right? And hierarchies that weren't based on gender, and yeah. also I think the hierarchies based on wealth are pretty mm. straightforward. But I mean, if we trace the roots of capitalism from um, hunter-gathering societies and then the decision mm-hmm. to create, um, how do you call them, villages that were protected by feudal lords and so mm-hmm. on. It wasn't entirely Sir, oh, about, no. right? The serfdom wasn't entirely yeah. about mm-hmm. economics. Yeah. It was also about physical safety. Yeah. And yeah. the way mm-hmm. by which they secured safety and longevity of their short lives was to pay mm-hmm. a specific amount to yeah. their lords, right? So mm-hmm. that was feudalism. Um, and then eventually, the people who had the skills and who had the talents and who had the means of production, they owned the means of production. All of a sudden, society realized or capitalism realized it would have been cheaper to separate the modes of production from the workers And all mm. of a sudden, it became ideal and profitable for just one person to own all the modes of production and then employ workers because then they'd only be paying for labor power and then mm. getting all the profit. So it's okay, kind of, while we're, yeah, like that. <laughs> while we're talking about this, so like I out. want to ask something like a little bit controversial, but I also have strong feelings about, which is that do you think that women like people who don't adhere to the patriarchal gender standards, can they be liberated under capitalism the way that it is? Wait, can you repeat that? So there are people who don't adhere to patriarchal standards. Like well, the like mm-hmm. pe- like gen- the people who don't fit gender norms. So like women and people who don't fit gender norms. Like, is it possible for them to be liberated while capitalism exists? the way that it is the way that it's running or can fem- ah, can you be a capitalist that's a really complex question because we don't want to say that solving capitalism will solve all gender problems right because that's not yeah. true we don't want to say that but we do have to recognize that capitalism benefits from the gender division of labor Or mm. capitalism benefits from making sure that someone does unpaid reproductive care work mm. for the workers. Yeah. And usually this is given to 
people who present as feminine or people mm-hmm. who are born female. Um, and if I may kind of venture into the whole idea of um, people with diverse sexuality, the LGBTQI people, mm-hmm. one finding in a research that was done on lesbian, bisexual, and trans women um, in mm-hmm. the Philippines that was done, I think, by the UNFPA. One finding they had throughout the discussions was that people became accepted by their families because they started to become providers for their families. Mm. So the families had tied the worth of LBT women to their ability to provide food and shelter mm-hmm. and finances mm-hmm. for all the family's needs. Now, when you take away that power to provide, yeah. all of a sudden, their yeah. gender identities and their sexuality and their sexual orientation are not as acceptable. Yeah, exactly. Your value is determined by your productive yeah, productive labor that you're able to produce, right? Like right. If that's, if that's the determinant, then any any marginalized identity can be accepted under capitalism if if that's the only basis for right if that's the only basis for it to to be accepted right like i think this is where intersectionality matters because then we have Mm. to ask is it enough for a person to be accepted only on the basis of their capacity Mm. to provide economically to other people yeah i'm pointing to that like the, yeah. the point that you know it's maybe you should be accepted because you are a person, not because exactly. you're able to. Mm. So then we can't really say that capitalism solves the problem of LBT women or LGBTQI individuals, right? Because mm-hmm. capitalism just puts us all in these boxes all together and yeah. ignores the marginalization that we get from a box that is not about capitalism. But yeah. we are unhappy all the same. Mm-hmm. pertaining to feminism and Asian societies, right? If I can ask like... Oh, that's exciting. Because a lot of Asian societies are very conservative. So do you... Are you on the... Are you of the belief that feminism or... Let's not even call it feminism, but movements to empower women can come in as... Can come from... Indigenously, indigenously come from the culture themselves. Or do you subscribe to the ideas that it has to come from the outside. Like a lot even of conservatives condemn feminism as a Western idea because it is alien to the indigenous culture. Or are you arguing that it doesn't even have to come from the outside? So what part, uh, which, which, would, which side would you lean towards? I lean towards the side that women's empowerment has to start from where the women are. So it can't come from the outside. What does this mean for Asian societies that have very restrictive norms around what women and men can and cannot do, right? Um, It starts with asking women who experience these norms how they feel about it. Mm -hmm. So in the same manner that a woman might feel restricted by wearing a burqa, another woman can feel the freedom of wearing a burqa because the eyes Mm. of men in their societies are not on her, so she feels safer. And Mm. these two kind of opposite appreciation of a burqa are both valid because Mm -hmm. these are the experiences of the women themselves. 
So in exploring feminism in Asia, I think what matters is to allow women first to define where they find pleasure, where they find safety, where they find value in being who they are. Mm -hmm. And then what restricts them from enjoying all those things? If mm -hmm. we allow women to define Asian women, the many, many, many variations of Asian women. Yeah. At the first level, you first have to define what Asian is, right? And then you mm -hmm. have to self-subscribe to the idea of being Asian. And then you have to define what a woman is and self-subscribe oh, that's that's to being episode. a woman, right? Mm -hmm. And then combining yeah. Asian and women together and then self-subscribe mm -hmm. to these intersections. So in that sense, if we allow people to identify themselves and then define these identities, what they mean, mm -hmm. where the pleasure comes from, where the happiness comes from, where the growth comes from, and then start identifying all yeah. the things that prevent pleasure, happiness, and growth. Mm -hmm. And then we work towards loosening these restrictions on pleasure, happiness, and growth. Then that's feminism. And that's mm -hmm. an organic kind of feminism yeah. that emerges from mm -hmm. the comfortable belly of Asia. Yeah. Whatever like, Asia I really, is. Mm -hmm. I want to comment about that because like, it really touches upon like some some small crises that I've had like as a young woman who identifies as a feminist like the com the part you said about how some women are empowered by wearing a burqa and others are not and like for me I like to wear makeup and I had a bit of a crisis that like wait wait if I like to wear makeup am I is this the patriarchy doing this to me and then the the anecdote that you shared earlier on in the podcast about how the kind of world that we're working towards is one where people are not judged for whatever kind of preference that they have, which I think is so such a wonderful way of thinking about it, that you can want to do whatever you want. And the whole point is that we want to have a society that doesn't judge anybody for how they want to live, that doesn't privilege one decision or one preference over another preference. Uh, I guess I would want to like maybe to wrap up or maybe not yet, but maybe to wrap up to talk a little bit about that because there's questions like among women about like their choices that, oh, I'm going to be a feminist, so I'm going to burn my bra and stop shaving my armpits. But that's not it. Like the point of feminism is not to create another category that you have to do that to be a feminist. So can you talk us a talk to us a little bit about uh, about removing the privileging from some preferences? Like how does that happen? Yeah. I think it's so important when you said that people have to be free to decide what kind of a feminist they want to be. Whether it's the kind of feminist that burns bras, wears red lipstick, wears heels, or shaves their heads, right? Mm -hmm. There are different ways to be a feminist. And I think we are lucky because all the older generations of feminists have already laid the groundwork for us. They have already identified the many systems of oppression that women um, are subjected to. And so now we are given the opportunity to begin to explore where women's and men's pleasure lie. So it is in exploring the space of pleasure. It's in the space of 
where are you most comfortable? Where are you happiest? Where do you feel you are most like your true self? Um, that kind of feminism is only possible because everyone else that came before us had already pointed out, this is what patriarchy does. This is what capitalism does. Um, this is what they can do together. Yeah, so how do we move towards that kind of feminism? Um, I think it starts from acknowledging that what works for one person may not work for another person. Mm. It's, it's a basic mm -hmm. concept of consent. It's a basic concept of acknowledging our differences and then engaging each other to understand these differences but not to cancel them out. Now, it's so easy for us to criticize each other. It's so easy mm -hmm. to pass judgment online. Easy to cancel. Like, yeah, you're not yeah. acting like a feminist or cancel. Exactly. Like you're not supportive yeah. enough. And then you have to ask, like, why does that give you pleasure to cancel people out, <laughs> right? I think the other thing, I think the other thing that's not being talked about as much are the damaging effects of oppression, the mental, emotional effects that damage our being, our psyche. And this kind of borders, no, it's actually in the lap of mental health. Like having mm. been oppressed for that long, having grown up oh, thinking, yeah. right? That you can never be the star or the smartest person in the room because yeah. there's a boy that's smarter than you. Or yeah. growing up. Like that up, affects yeah, you forever. Mm -hmm. It does. And there's a psychological effect. And what we're not seeing is that there's a lot of trauma and anger that oppression has caused. And we are acting out but we are not healing. Hmm. So that requirement to heal, one, has to be given the space, um, and two, shouldn't be forced. Uh, that's where actually the whole idea of feminist care comes in. That's where the whole idea of survivor-centered care comes in. The idea that mm. patriarchy has damaged us so badly, whether you are a man or a woman or someone who identifies somewhere in between or does not identify at all as either. Mm -hmm. um, capitalism has damaged us so badly. And these yeah. have created traumas, not just in our psyche, you know, because these traumas were traumas that our parents had, that our parents passed on to us yeah, by yeah. virtue of them raising us. And then mm -hmm. these are traumas shared in our circles and in our community. So just the idea that there is trauma that is created by oppression mm -hmm. that causes us to behave um, irrationally and emotionally negatively is something worth investigating. So this is where I say it's not a bad thing to be angry. This is where I say it's not a bad thing to want to lash out. Sometimes that mm -hmm. is exactly what we need. But also when that is the only mode of engagement you can find, then we have to start asking why we are so fixated in just exclusively expressing anger. And we have mm. to start asking why it's so important for us exclusively to criticize other people so that we feel better about ourselves. Because then mm. the other question becomes, how can we feel better about ourselves in a more constructive way, right? Um, and that goes into the territory exactly of mental health and the intersection of feminism and mental health. Um, 
the intersection of capitalism and mental health and social democracy mm-hmm. and mental health if we must right mm-hmm. yeah yeah i love it so we've covered so many topics in this podcast session and i really hope that we'll be allowed to do a second episode because i really think that there's still so much more to talk about but thank you thank you so much sab for joining us thank you sab yes thank uh-huh. you for having me Thank you so much for joining us for this very special episode. And now comes to the part in the program that we extend to all of our guests that you can plug anything you want. If you are in a movie or if you have a mixtape or a book coming out, like this is the time for you to promote anything at all. Oh, I'm not that cool. <laughs> but I, I don't have a movie or a mixtape. Um, <laughs> but I do have um, an invitation to everybody to create spaces of nurturing and care in the context mm-hmm. exactly of understanding where our bodies and our pleasures are maximized. Um, and in this regard, I wanted to invite everybody to visit the page of Luna's Collective. So that's facebook.com slash Luna's Collective. And Luna's in Filipino, when we translate it to English, means relief. So mm-hmm. Luna's Collective is a feminist, volunteer-powered chat, helpline, and care space. And what we want to do is offer survivors of gender-based violence a space to find someone to speak with. We want to offer people who are afraid of judgment on their sexuality and reproductive health a space to find reliable um, information and a space to find kind of um, solidarity, solidarity, so that we can all begin to explore our own bodies, our own pleasures, without the fear of judgment from society. And the advocacy extends beyond like the Philippines. I would like to see people borrow the model just mm-hmm. because we've been so restricted. We've been prohibited from exp- expressing pleasures and desires that are of a more sexual nature or a more mm-hmm. sensual nature. Um, and then we've also received violence on this basis. Oh. So as a society, it's just not nice. <laughs> oh, yes. And so just mm-hmm. the idea of things not being nice and then realizing that all of us actually have the power to change things in the way that we speak with others, in the way that we listen and affirm the stories of survivors or of people seeking abortions that are illegal in their countries, right? Mm-hmm. So just being there for these people, even if we cannot solve their problems for them, um, is a huge thing. Also, don't try to solve other people's problems. True. <laughs> just be there to support them and mm-hmm. listen um, because that's also the person being kind to themselves. Yes, I love yes, it. Thank it you out. so much, Sab. Yes, so everybody, please Luna's check out Collective. the Lunas Collective. Yay. That's Lunas, and... like a L-U-N-A-S collective, right? Not yes. Luna apostrophe mm-hmm. S, yes. No. I'll, I'll, yeah, we'll yes. also put it out on our, uh, mm-hmm. we'll get the details as well so yes. people can click on the link. And we love to partner yes. with other groups. Like, if mm-hmm. there's something that we're doing that you want to copy, go ahead. So, thank you so much, Sab. Thank you so much, Carla. So Cassie, how do you feel about the episode? I am actually really, really happy about this because like the thing I told her earlier about how 
I have this crisis that like as a young woman, I like to wear makeup and the way I like to do makeup is very in line with how society says women should look. So it makes me feel bad that am I propping up a, an oppressive standard? And the idea that she gave about how uh, the feminist future is one where you can be whatever you want and no choice is more valid or less valid than any other choice. And I think that's so baller. Like, the, I would love to live there. I would love to be able to paint my face up however I want or not put on makeup because that's another thing I'm really concerned about that I don't... I can't leave my house. Like, that's how that's how the conditioning has worked out for me, that I have to be a little bit made up if I'm going to be seen by other people. Being able to hear about how that choice is valid and you can be a feminist and have that choice and the future the f- the feminist future is one where you can make that choice and it doesn't mean that you're oppressing somebody else is something that i'm very happy to have heard and will help me direct the frenzied search for books that i have been conducting this quarantine but I have to ask you as a man, how did you enjoy this podcast? Past what I thought about this episode, you never answered about how patriarchy has oppressed you. And I'm not trying to push any kind of agenda on you. But yeah, it's no, just a question. So No, uh, I was thinking, yeah, you know, we were, if you think about it, you know, like a lot of men don't cannot identify with patriarchy because, you know, it's like when you ask when you it's like inquiring fish if it can see oh, the yeah, water. Like, you're, you're swimming in it, so it's hard to identify. So, like, in my case, mm-hmm. I grew up in, you know, I went to an all-boys school. So, some of the points raised okay. by Sabrina, I can I can relate to, I can understand now, like, ah, a lot of these, like, school bullies act this way, etc., okay. etc. Like, that's yeah. kind of uh, the expectations that been set upon them by society, by their parents, mm-hmm. by by family, etc. But, yeah. you know, you, you kind of think as well that, um, you know, looking back, you know, for a lot of these people, you also have to think that people are also victimized. Even people who you would think are victimizers, they're also a product of that society. So, you know, it's it it victimizes everyone to the point that mm-hmm. some of the victims become perpetrators of uh, violence, yeah. whatever that violence. Yeah, may not be. realizing that they're victims themselves. Like that's yeah, a good exactly. answer. I'll take it, Carlo. I'll take it. Yeah, like, words it was, of it's not as direct. Carlo, yeah. Not as direct as I was hoping for, but like, okay lang, sige, I'll take it, I'll take it. So, we ha- we now have Carlo, who is a fish, who is beginning to perceive the water he is in. So, that's a great, that's great. Yes, this has been the Sock Them Asia podcast, and see you on our next episode. And that was the podcast. You can listen to us on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and Radio Public. You can learn more about Sockdom Asia and our latest events and activities by visiting our website at SockdomAsia.com or like and follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SockdomAsia. If you wish to share your thoughts on this episode or past episodes or suggestions for future ones, just send us an email at Secretariat at SockdomAsia.com. <laughs>